What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. As the Cardinals come up with a split on Tuesday against the Chicago Cubs in the doubleheader at Wrigley Field. Unfortunately, they couldn't come up with the runs needed in that first game to continue the winning streak. It was snapped at eight games. We'll talk about Adam Wainwright and his solid pitching outing, but the undoing of the Cardinals as well in game one. Boy, it was their efforts with runners in scoring position. They couldn't get it done. 2 nothing. the final score from game one. But hey, things were better in game two. The Cardinals offense got things going once again, the way we were kind of accustomed to seeing them do over that eight-game winning streak. Cardinals had seven games in a row where they scored five or more runs during that winning streak, and then they won the one nothing game against Chicago on Monday. That was the Albert Pujols home run. You can scroll back on your B-Shape Daily podcast feed to hear the breakdown of that game and how wonderfully Jordan Montgomery pitched. Might talk about Montgomery a little bit more today because got into an interesting conversation with my co-host Andy Humphrey on the big show. You can hear that KTGR and KTGR.com weekdays from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. And you can subscribe to the big show on Spotify for the podcast every day. We talked about what the playoff rotation could look like, and I realized there are some things that are developing now that the Cardinals, obviously, they've restabilized their rotation, but I know we're still a little bit of ways away, yet I'm still finding myself already thinking about what that could look like in a wild card series, potentially, or even into the NLDS beyond that. So maybe we'll talk about that a little bit tonight after we finish recapping the Tuesday doubleheader between the Cardinals and the Cubs. Great to see the bats finally get things going once again in game two. Mentioned that one nothing went on Monday, and then you get shut out in game one on Tuesday. So that's one run over 18 innings. Cardinals have gone through stretches like that before, but they broke out in a big way on Tuesday night, 13-3, the final score of game two. All seems to be right in the world once again with the Cardinals offensively as they finish the day with a split. They get a little bit of help from the Los Angeles Dodgers who crushed Corbin Burns tonight. 10-1, to the Dodgers beat Milwaukee. So even though the Cardinals did suffer a loss on Tuesday, they leave the day with a lead bigger than they entered the day with. 1-1 one one on the day, that's better than the 0-1 Milwaukee had. So Cardinals now up to five and a half games ahead of the Brewers in the NL Central. We'll talk, too, about Jake Woodford's performance in Game 2. He hasn't been given very many opportunities by the Cardinals this season. It's been kind of a strange one to figure out. I don't know if it's just been a matter of looking at the underlying data and saying, oh, Jake Woodford's had a little bit of success at the big league level, but it's been smoke and mirrors. He's been lucky. Well, today was supposed to be sort of a bullpen outing for Game 2. They go with Woodford over Matthew Libertor, who did pitch in this game as well, but I like the fact that they give Woodford the opportunity to start, and he came through, and he's only had good numbers this year for the Cardinals. So what could Jake Woodford's role be moving forward after he succeeded in doing what the team needed from him on Tuesday night? We'll talk about that a little bit on this edition of the show as well. All that and more coming up, but real quick, before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to Be Shafe Daily on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to get involved in the show, there's a few ways you can do that. Of course, you can always tweet at me at bshafer12 to let your thoughts be known on the Cardinals, everything going on with the team. But you can also leave a voicemail message. Go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. And right there, you can record in your own voice a question or comment that I can play right here on the podcast. And in fact, we got one in from Lou Boys STL, so we're going to play that right now for you guys. 
And I'll respond to that with the quick question of the day here. Hey, Brendan, I know you commented on Paul DeYoung's body language the other night with the miscatch error. Um, curious what your thoughts were on Jordan Hicks's body language what, a couple days before against the Diamondbacks when he had the rough inning. Not, not going hard to home to cover home on the wild pitch. And then also not hustling it out to first on the ground ball to Goldie, uh, where the guy ended up beating him to the bag and being safe. Uh, I feel like I feel like that's common for Hicks to uh, kind of shrug things off and not look super motivated. Maybe I don't know. Uh, curious your thoughts. Thanks. Big fan of the show. So first of all, thanks to Lou Boys for sending that in, and I do think it's something interesting to talk about. And I went back and double checked and rewatched what he was talking about, and I remember thinking this initially, but man, even watching the replays more closely, he's got a point there about Jordan Hicks. I mean, these things are probably going to happen over the course of a long season, but they really shouldn't too much, right? And there was a couple of instances in that inning. It was back on August twentieth when Hicks had the outing where he didn't record an out in the eighth inning. The Cardinals luckily ended up having that eight-run ninth inning to win 16-7 to over the D-backs that day, but Hicks was charged with three runs and made that game a lot closer than it needed to have been, and part of it was because he just wasn't locked in, didn't look locked in mentally on the mound there, had a wild pitch that he sort of casually jogs to cover home plate and no run score on that play, but happens again when he fails to cover first base in time on a ground ball to the right side. And it was legitimately both times just the most casual thing. No sense of urgency at all there from Jordan Hicks. And that is a mental thing. It doesn't take having your fastball be on or having command of your slider to hustle. That's not something that is determined by your aptitude on a given day. It's just your willingness to do what needs to be done. And so, yeah, there were a couple of instances there where Jordan Hicks didn't meet the bill on that. But, you know, Ali Marmel is the kind of manager who I think isn't afraid to have those conversations with players. You recall earlier this season, back when Harrison Bader was still on the team, that Ollie took him out of a game after seeing a little bit of lackadaisical play. And in this case, Hicks was taken out of the game as well, though for his pitching the base runners that he allowed, that probably would have been the case regardless. But I have to imagine that Ollie had some conversation with Jordan Hicks about that after the fact, because he's not been afraid to do so. And yeah, with Paul DeYoung's body language, that was just a brief moment in time. I would argue that this was even worse from Hicks, just from the perspective of it happened a couple of times in the same inning. And that's something you want to nip in the bud for sure, because Jordan Hicks is too talented to be having those kinds of situations pop up. And I would have to imagine it gets rectified. Uh, the DeYoung thing, I think, was maybe just, like I said, one moment in time where it's just sometimes your your body betrays you, your mind betrays you, and he didn't catch that ball on the relay from Tyler O'Neill the other day, and it was an error with a missed catch. You hardly see a missed catch error, but it was, you know, it was one that he got the entire glove on and just didn't catch it and sort of jogged in after it like maybe he was even confused at what had just happened. But, yeah, don't love seeing that too often from uh, Paul DeYoung. Don't love seeing it from Jordan Hicks either, but hopefully something that both guys would be able to rectify. But, sure, yeah, we talk about those things here on B-Shape Daily because I like that Cardinals fans – are locked in on certain things, and they they notice those sorts of things. And I, I'm telling you what, Ali Marmel does as well. So that's something that I imagine with Hicks, they'll they'll look to try to put that in the past and keep it there for sure. Uh, so appreciate the question. Like 
like I said, if you guys want to uh, join in the same way that Lou Boys did right there, uh, anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message, and we can get you in on the fun. I would love to have more questions where we can do something like that a couple few times a week and uh, start the show off that way. Also want to remind you guys before I get into the content as well, patreon.com slash bshafer12. If you support bshafe daily, you listen regularly, and you're wondering how you can support it even further, uh, help me on the mission to make this thing go. Patreon is a great way because it's a monthly subscription and this podcast remains free, but that is uh, an area where you can show your support and get some extra stuff too as well with, with some blogs and some podcasts that I plan to get off the ground here pretty soon over there. So appreciate you guys who've done so. And uh, if you'd like to join the party, once again, patreon.com slash bshafer12. But we're here on bshafe daily now, so let's get into the show content for the day. The Cardinals split the doubleheader. We'll talk about the loss first because it happened first, and we always like to end the show on a better note if we can do so. 2 nothing loss for the Cardinals on Tuesday afternoon at Wrigley Field. 0-10 with runners in scoring position was the Cardinals' offense in that first game. You got a pretty good outing from Adam Wainwright. Six innings, gave up two runs, but you can't win if you don't score, and Adam Wainwright, therefore, takes the loss his ninth of the year. He's 9-9, nine nine, hasn't really fared very well in the decision department this season. But a 3.11 ERA, another quality start for Wainwright in the game on Tuesday. Offensively, just five hits for the Cardinals. Newt Barr leading off in game one with a couple of hits. Brennan Donovan had a base hit and reached base via walk as well. So once again, those two at the top of the lineup doing work in game one, combined to reach base four times. Goldie and Pujols both getting base hits in the game as well. But just... That 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position is tough to see. You leave 11 runners on base, one error in the game for Arenado. Just not a great effort to inspire some giddy-up for the Cardinals in that first game, and so they lose the game. But Jojo Romero, good to see him filling a couple of innings. Going to need help from everybody, you would figure, in a doubleheader day. And Romero's now thrown a couple of scoreless appearances, I should say, for the Cardinals since joining the team. We'll see how... uh, he fares moving forward, but that's good to see. Let's move on to game two, though. Game two is the one we really want to talk about because the Cardinals offense found a way to get it going. 13-3, to the win for the Cardinals, and they do that on the strength of 16 hits and six walks, 22 base runners. And it was actually more than that, wasn't it? Because the Cardinals were getting hit all over the place by pitches in this game. Espinosa was the reliever for the Cubs that had some issues hitting a couple of guys and almost hitting a couple more. Anderson Espinosa got three innings of work. He got what the Cubs needed, I guess, out of him because they were just looking to get this game over with. After Adrian Sampson gave up five runs, Espinosa threw over 60 pitches, walked three guys, hit two more, gave up four earned runs. But uh, not a comfortable at-bat there in the latter innings for the Cardinals. And then you thought Stephen Brault, man, that was going to be the perfect opportunity for Albert to go for 694. Brault, a lefty, couldn't get anybody out. Ended up leaving the game right before the Pujols at bat. Charged with three runs, gave up a couple of hits and a walk. Man, if only Ollie would have gotten Albert in there a little bit sooner. But I can't blame him because, and people were saying, what is he doing? Why? Cardinals had this game on lock. They ended up scoring six runs in the ninth as it was. Tommy Edmond would have had his second home run of the game if not for that big part of right field at Wrigley Field that just juts out so far. He hit one pretty deep, but 
at Wrigley, you've got that jut out at the very much right field corner spot of the field. And he had to settle for Tommy two bags, uh, two run double, I believe it was with the bases loaded, but pretty much everybody contributing offensively in this game up and down the batting order. Everybody who started the game for the Cardinals got at least one hit except for Lars Newbar, And he reached base twice via walks. So you're cool with that. Once again, the top of the lineup getting, get the job done. Brandon Donovan had a big two RBI hit going one for five at the number two spot in the order. Goldsmith with a bit of an off day, one for six. Arnado three for four. Gorman scored three runs. Tyler O'Neill got it going. That's probably the guy we, we need to most discuss. Like Edmund, great day, had the home run, had the double, three runs driven in. But Tyler O'Neill, how much have we talked about him as a power producer, how important that is for the Cardinals? Just to kind of round out their offense in the way that we know they're capable of doing. And Tyler got the home run game going his eighth of the season. And that's just good to see. Got to see it more consistently for T.O. Two for four and scored two runs with a couple of RBIs. He also reached base via walk. So good day for his on-base percentage, getting the uh, power numbers up a little bit as well. Everybody had a great day. Cubs don't have very good pitching. It's not a surprise that game two of a doubleheader, they're going to falter. And they faltered in a major way. Want to talk about one other guy as well, Corey Dickerson. I feel like he's sort of been the forgotten man. The guy that all season everybody's just been eager to dismiss. And it seemed like it was only a matter of time before he would get DFA'd. I've even talked about recently Alec Burleson, the outfield prospect that's been playing this season at AAA Memphis. Hey, if you get Corey Dickerson off the team, you can have Burleson come up and see what he can do, right? But maybe we should pump the brakes on that a little bit and just recognize that for a good long while now, Corey Dickerson's been better than fine. Like, he's been pretty solid for the Cardinals for a while now. Check it out. I'm going to sort it by the last 30 days. And what I come up with is a 966 OPS for Corey Dickerson over the last month. He's hitting 390. And this is kind of bizarre. A 381 on base percentage, despite the 390 batting average. He has zero walks in 41 at bats. He has a sacrifice fly, I believe, which hurts your on base percentage, but doesn't hurt your batting average, I think is how he came up with a higher batting average than on base percentage. Not very often that you see that, but you know what? With Corey Dickerson, that was sort of the play, right? You knew what you were getting with him. Pretty good batting average was the hope but you didn't think of him as a power or on-base guy necessarily. But he was a guy that was going to make high contact. And at the time when the Cardinals signed him to the $5 million deal right before or during spring training it was, you thought, well, maybe a little bit superfluous uh, to the lineup because at the time I wanted to see more out of Lars Newt Bar. And I figured, well, Corey Dickerson could take away some time from Newt, but at the same time, we don't know that Newt is ready. So add another left-handed bat, proven outfielder, veteran player. I didn't mind the deal at the time. In retrospect, and even then I was saying, Jock Peterson, Jock Peterson, Jock Peterson. But the Cardinals didn't end up going that route, and he went to the Giants, which is, from what people have said, where he wanted to be anyway. Jock Peterson signing for $6 million, I believe it was, where Corey Dickerson gets the $5 million for one-year contract. But with Dickerson, it was like he started the season so poorly that it was just difficult to imagine him ever kind of forcing his way out of it, crawling out of the cave, so to speak. But he's really done that if you look at the numbers. Like I said, 966 OPS over the past month. If you look 
since he came off the injured list, which was like early July. We're talking the better part of a month and a half, a month and three quarters. OPS near 850 since then. So that's an even longer sample size. Not a big power guy, just one home run in the last month, but hasn't played a ton either. But one home run in 41 at-bats is not particularly significant, but five doubles, decent slugging percentage, 585. Again, that's a 30-day sample size. It's not like, oh, he's had a good week or whatever. He's played sparingly and yet has consistently, when called upon, been getting the job done. And he's had several games like this one tonight where he goes four for five in what you can really classify as a spot start for him at this point. Because Dickerson's just not getting a lot of run, but when he goes, it's been it's been pretty good. He's up to a two fifty batting average on the season. The OPS is still below seven hundred, but hey, so is Tommy Edmonds. Even after a really good game tonight, that's the case for Tommy Edmonds. So I think we can basically view Dickerson uh, as a guy who's going to give you those those good at bats. It's kind of difficult because you've got Nolan Gorman that you want to fit into the lineup as a left handed bat. Newt Barr has run away with the right field job, which has limited Dickerson. And that's what I think we all wanted. But the Cardinals, maybe at the beginning of the year, felt like, let's defer to the veteran a little bit. We signed him. And I think the reason they signed him is because he didn't know for sure what the outfield situation would look like. And as we look back on it, like Carlson hasn't had a great year offensively, although he does come through tonight as well with a base hit, two RBIs, run scored. So, it's nice to see, but uh, and it was a triple that Carlson picked up. But he hasn't had a great year offensively. Tyler O'Neill's been injured on and off. It hasn't had a great year offensively. So, like, in retrospect, it sort of makes sense that the Cardinals would have wanted to beef up the outfield just to make sure they were covered in case guys get injured. And that's happened all season for the Cardinals. Guys have gotten injured. But now they've sort of settled into a groove where Newt Barr has proven that he should be an everyday player right now. His OPS is above 800, one of the higher OPSs on the team this season. And that's despite really starting off slow when he was getting pretty rare opportunities. Harrison Bader has obviously been traded. You're still going to try to get Carlson and O'Neill in there as often as you possibly can to try and get them going, get them to what they're capable of. And that's just left Corey Dickerson as sort of the odd man out. But I liked his interview with Jim Hayes on the post game show after the nightcap on Tuesday, where he said, you know, the numbers were what they were at the beginning of the year and people are focused on them, but now we're just focused on, Hey, end of the game, you're in the tunnel, everybody's high five and like, did we get the win as a team? Like, he just, he says, I know I can contribute. I feel like in the comments that he made to Jim Hayes, it almost seemed as though, like, you know, Corey Dickerson is sort of aware about the narrative, the public narrative surrounding his game this season, where you're a part time player, you've had a career where you've mostly been a starter for the most part in the big leagues. And so now you get that early opportunity because you've proven it in the past, but then when it doesn't go well, your opportunities start to go away. You deal with some injuries. And then people don't maybe recognize when you've had a turnaround in the latter part of the season because it's happened in so few opportunities. But like I said, when he's getting a chance, he's played well, at least offensively. I don't know a whole lot defensively that he, he brings to the table relative to the other guys. Can recall the game a couple of weeks ago where he ended up being subbed in mid-game in right field because Ollie went with some pinch hitters with O'Neill and Albert, I think the, the inning prior and ended up taking a bad route to a ball that Lars Newtbar probably would have gotten to and might've been a different story uh, for that situation in the game. But offensively, he's really been over the last month and a half ever since getting off the, the injured list, really at the beginning of July, I think he's been exactly what the Cardinals hoped they would get when they signed him. So you can look at the cumulative numbers and that's sort of what he tried to indicate to Jim Hayes is, 
numbers, you know, were what they were. But at this point, I know I can contribute to this team. And I think he's got the belief of Ali Marmel, the belief of the front office. If they were going to make a move, would have done so earlier in the season. And he ended up working his way out of it, digging his way out of it to where now I think he is trusted with the role that he has and he's thriving within it. Doesn't mean he's got to play every day, but I, I appreciate that he's been able to uh, sort of stabilize things, and he definitely is helping this team right now. He's taking good at-bats. He's making contact. That's exactly the kind of hitter that I think the Cardinals thought they were getting, and it took a little bit of time for that to show up, but good for Corey Dickerson to uh, be able to turn things around the way that he has uh, over the last month and a half or so. And speaking of guys who started off poorly and maybe their opportunities were questionable, you know, TJ McFarland was DFA'd a couple of weeks ago. Saw today where the Cardinals signed him to a minor league deal. So he's back with the Cardinals organization, not on the 40-man, but he got released, didn't get any opportunities. Nobody came knocking, and he wants to pitch. So he's down in Memphis. I think that's a good thing, by the way. He doesn't doesn't mean he has to come back up at any point. Doesn't mean they have to re-add him to the 40, but if he figures things out down there, I'm not saying it's beyond the realm of possibility. So a little bit of a, a news tidbit that I, I saw in passing earlier today that I thought I would bring up as well. Let's talk about one more pitcher, though, before we get out of here for this episode of the show. Maybe going to be a little bit of a shorter episode tonight. But I want to talk about Jake Woodford and the outing that he put forth on Tuesday evening. Woodford's season has been kind of strange. Between getting some rare opportunities with the Cardinals, but then going back down to the minors, and it's sort of been a lot of down and back for Jake Woodford this season. And it has seemed consistently time after time that the Cardinals didn't really trust him with a role, didn't really maybe know where he fit in. It's like when he's been with the team, he's been used as that Mike Matheny-era version of the break glass in case of emergency type reliever. But then when he goes down to Memphis, he's used in the rotation. He's made 10 starts this season in Memphis in 11 appearances. Never very long appearances, just 43 innings on the season with Memphis. But a 3.14 ERA down there, which if you look at some AAA numbers across the game, a lot of times, even like the top pitching prospects have ERAs in the fours or fives in AAA. The juice ball down there, like it hasn't been easy in 2022 to pitch well in AAA. And Woodford's done a fine job. And then when he comes to the big leagues, he's done a fine job. But he's been he's had eight games finished of the 13 prior to today's start. Eight of his 13 appearances for the Cardinals all had been relief appearances before today where games finished. He's like the guy in mop-up when it's not close. We're going to have Woodford come out and finish the game, whether it's an inning, whether it's an inning and a third, maybe it's three innings. He just goes out there and, and goes off the sheet. Not a very valuable role, but if you look at the cumulative numbers for him, had an ERA of 2.66 coming into today. And the Cardinals sort of said, well, with the bullpen start, we're going to give him a, a go at it. But maybe he opened some eyes with this outing. A remarkably efficient, 76 pitches, five and a third innings. That's a guy who could have gone, I mean, if he's a starter built up like a starter, he probably could go seven or eight innings with that sort of efficiency. Gave up just four hits, one run, one walk. Pitched to contact a lot, not just one strikeout. But he lowers the ERA to 2.48 so far this season with the Cardinals. I don't know if this is going to get him any additional opportunities. Maybe they say, well, he did well against the Cubs. That's to be expected. The Cubs don't have a very potent lineup at this point in time. But I think this should get Jake Woodford out of what I have considered to be purgatory. It seems like that's where he's been. He's sort of been in the middle. 
they they send him down, but not really to stretch him out. He's just kind of there waiting for the next time that they're going to call him up for a role that's not all that important. Well, today he did fill an important role for the Cardinals and uh, was good to see. The guy that brought up to be the 27th man today was Matthew Libertor. We still haven't really seen him have much success at the big league level, and today was no exception to that. Ends up coughing up a couple of runs, but two and two-thirds innings, so was able to give the Cardinals a little bit of length toward the end of this game. Chris Stratton came in for one inning of relief, and he struck out two, so that's good to see from Stratton as well. And I kind of want to look at Stratton's numbers in a little bit more detail because I recall when he came to the Cardinals, he had an ERA above five, and now it's below five. 3.86 3.86 across his last seven games. So that's solid. I mean, that's that's probably more consistent consistency than you were getting from that relief spot when you consider like Oviedo was was pretty good, but up and down at times. Junior Fernandez certainly up and down. And so you find Nick Nick Whitgren obviously was was not long for this team. He he got DFA'd earlier in the year. So to to bring in Stratton, I think, has been valuable to the Cardinals as well. And since joining the team, 3.86 ERA. Those seven games are the seven that he's pitched with St. Louis. And so a nice little uh, boost for the Cardinals bullpen that he has been, which I I didn't know that I had high expectations, but uh, he's been solid for sure since getting here and and pitched an inning tonight. But the fact that you can go through a doubleheader, yeah, you didn't win both games, but you only used five pitchers uh, speaks to, obviously, the job that Wayno did, the job that Jojo Romero did in game one. He's looked good in a couple of outings, and the guy throws hard, too. So that's a guy that that was who they got for Edmundo Sosa in a trade that I've talked about needed to be made regardless. They didn't need to necessarily even get anything for Edmundo Sosa for that to still end up being the right move to sort of jettison him and, and clear the deck for the other guys like Brendan Donovan and obviously Paul DeYoung coming back, which they, they've got to find out about Paul DeYoung either way. So I think it's a trade that made sense because – Sosa didn't offer a lot of offensive upside. And for whatever reason, it has seemed like since that move has been made, everything's sort of clicking now with guys fitting in their spots that they go. That's when they started bringing Newt Barr, Donovan up toward the top of the lineup. They've been very committed to the platoon splitting with Gorman and Albert Pujols. You're seeing Dickerson now kind of fit in. Edmund will will play enough, but they shuffle things around at shortstop and second. Like the vibe is good with how they're handling the middle infield slash DH spot right now. And I attribute that to everything just kind of fell into place like a puzzle after the Amundo Sosa deal. But Jojo Romero, keep an eye on him. Guy throws hard, has been pretty good. Hadn't had a lot of opportunities in the big leagues prior to this in his career. Has Hadn't been good in the chances he had. But the Cardinals saw raw talent, raw arm talent, and they decided to take a chance on it. That's a deal that could end up working out for this team. We'll see. I want to see a little bit more of him, but so far so good from Jojo Romero. And then game two, yeah, I don't know what they expected Jake Woodford to do, but I like that he probably went above and beyond what they assumed they'd be getting. Like I said, even in the minor leagues, he hasn't been a guy that goes deep into games with only 43 innings in 10 starts this season. So good to see five and a third from Jake. And I don't know, I'm I'm not thinking they'll put him in the, the rotation in Dakota Hudson's place, but I'm just saying give him some more opportunities. If you need more of those guys in the middle of your bullpen, those bridge guys. We talked earlier about Jordan Hicks. Hicks has been sort of hot and cold up and down. The upside is obviously tremendously high for Hicks. In terms of raw talent, he's got more of it than Jake Woodford. He was he was given a, a rocket launcher attached to his arm by God, and, and Jake Woodford is just like a regular pitcher. But Jake Woodford can be very effective, as he showed tonight. 
So maybe you you slide Woodford if you're not ready to put him into the rotation over Hudson, which I don't. I understand Cardinals fans wondering if he should get that chance because again he he looked very good and efficient tonight, and that's the, the opposite words from what we think of how Dakota Hudson has pitched. Certainly in the efficiency category, Hudson can have good starts, but rarely is he efficient. Usually he's walking three guys or more, and it's coming back to haunt him. Like I said, only one walk pitching into the six for Jake Woodford. Really like what you see, but if you don't want to put him in the rotation, okay, at least give him those those bridge opportunities. Try to make him a, a Jordan Hicks, a Palante, right in those fifth, sixth, seventh innings where he can go a couple of innings. And if he throws strikes, that can be a bridge guy that you add instead of just kind of letting him linger out there in the bullpen without really knowing what you want to do with him. I would like to see a more concerted effort from the Cardinals to give Jake Woodford a role and see if he can thrive in it. I don't really care what their reasoning for not doing so to this point in the season is. If they say, well, the numbers just suggest that Woodford shouldn't be pitching as well as he is. The metrics aren't good. The analytics, whatever. I don't really care about that stuff. Like, does the guy get outs? At this point, that's enough for me. And if he stops getting outs, okay, you can change his role. Like, that's what happened with Junior Fernandez. For a while, he was getting outs. And then, guess what? He stopped getting outs. So the Cardinals relegated his role, sent him back to the minors. I will say, by the way, though, Jordan, not Jordan, Junior Fernandez has not been scored upon so far in the month of August. Six scoreless appearances down there with Memphis. So you may see more of Junior Fernandez at some point later this season. My point, though, is don't discount what a guy has actually physically done in terms of ERA because you think his stuff's not going to play or he's doing it with smoke and mirrors. Like, I'm okay at this point in the season saying he's shown me enough, Jake Woodford has, to indicate that he should at least be given a chance. And if he proves you wrong, if he fails you at some point, okay, then he's done so. But until then, I'm I'm not doing the thing where people count it against him because, well, his FIP is this or his BABIP, he's getting lucky. I don't give a damn about that stuff. I really don't. Like, at a point, it will catch up to a guy, and that's fine. But I want to see guys get opportunities and maybe work themselves through that. I totally understand why it matters because it's predictive. You can predict that, okay, if he continues at this rate, the bad bip is going to come back to haunt him. He doesn't miss enough bats. Like, those are things that can be predictive. But for Jake Woodford, there does come a point where I'm just like, yeah, I'm in on the guy because he's continued to pitch well. And if he screws up or if he starts giving up a bunch of runs, and you can say, yeah, see, I, sold, I told you so, but... At least give him the chance to do that is kind of how I feel at this point about Jake Woodford because if you yank a guy around too much, which it's kind of been the case for Woodford with the Cardinals, back and forth, back and forth, feel like that can kind of damage the guy's psyche as well. Not saying he's going to turn out to be anything fantastic or a a long-term starter. Like I said, I don't necessarily think I would even replace Dakota Hudson in the rotation with Woodford right now based off of what we saw Tuesday just because you do have Jack Flaherty looming. And so in, in the category of, yanking Jake Woodford around, that would probably be another example of it if Jack throws one, maybe two more uh, minor league appearances and then he comes back looking for his rotation spot. So I don't think I need to mess with Jake Woodford in that regard, but I want to I put him into that Palante category, see what he would do as uh, one of the bridge relievers, and maybe you can get some consistency there from him. So let me know what you think about that. What do you think about Woodford? What do you think about the offense getting it back on track on Tuesday night? Stretching that NL Central lead back out to five and a half games after the Dodgers took care of the Brewers. Plenty going on in Cardinals land as they will look to continue getting the better of the Cubs 
over the course of the remainder of this series on Wednesday and Thursday up at Wrigley, and then it's back home for the Atlanta Braves over the weekend. That should be a fun series as well. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. We'll be back Wednesday night to recap the next game between the Cardinals and the Cubs. Appreciate you guys for listening as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily. Peace.